Okay, I love going to the bookshops. What I like uh, going to is uh, the self-help section. And what I really like in the self-help section is, you know, things like, you know, how to be successful, you know, how to live a stressful life, stressless life, <laughs> uh, how to be, uh, you know, better at this, how to be better at that. And I realized actually in all the books in the self-help section, they always have one thing in common. They always have this attitude where if you do these things, then you'll be able to achieve it. If you have this positive attitude and you follow ABCD, then you'll be able to get this outcome. It is the you-can-do-it attitude, right? The only problem is I think that we often take this you-can-do-it attitude, this positive attitude to the things of spiritual matters. And if we do it, we're doomed. We're doomed before we even start. Because in today's passage, it keeps telling us that you cannot have this sort of you-can-do-it attitude before God. Now, over the last few weeks, we've seen uh, that God had already said that everybody is a sinner. Everybody universally cannot be right with God, whether you're Jew or Gentile, man, woman or child. All of us are sinners before God and we will all be judged before the perfect God. God... Uh, sent his son as the perfect atonement, the perfect sacrifice, a substitute for us. Therefore, if we believe in God, we will be saved. In fact, it says that when we believe in Jesus, we are brought into the kingdom of Jesus, away from the old man, the, the kingdom of Adam. Now, the problem that we saw last week is God had made all these promises. God says he loves us. God says he will save us. But then the question that was being asked by the Roman church was, if God made all these promises, then why is it there were so few Jews being saved when I look around the church, it's made up mostly of Gentile people? Didn't God make these same promises to the Jews? Didn't He promise to love them? Didn't He promise to save them? And what we learned last week was actually God's salvation, God's uh, gift of Jesus was out of mercy and out of grace. And God had actually all along intended only to <clears throat> to save a remnant of Israel. Only a remnant of Israel. Not all Israel is true Israel, but only a small remnant. Now this week, we are looking at it from the other side of the coin. right? So last week we looked at it from the God side of view and said, okay, God gives mercy and compassion to who He gives it to. But this week, we we ask ourselves the question, what is it about God's people, Israel, the Jews, that meant that so few of them accepted Jesus? What is it from the other point of view, from the human perspective? Well, in verse 30, it says, What then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, A righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, have not attained it. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They were stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, See, I lay a stone that causes, in Zion, a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now I want you to pay attention to this verse because of the language and the words which are being used. It says that the the Gentiles did not pursue righteousness. 
Now the idea of pursuing something is like the idea of earning something. It's like a race, you know, I'm running and chasing after something. But that's exactly what Israel were trying to do. They were trying to attain the prize of um, salvation. They were pursuing it, chasing after it. But unfortunately, they cannot and could not receive the prize. And that's why I put together this diagram, right? Which is quite helpful. Okay, So, they were trying to achieve it by works. They were trying to attain it by pursuing, by doing, by earning. That's the sort of language that they had in their mind. Okay, We've got to earn salvation. Do it. Just do it. I can do it. And therefore, they stumbled over Jesus. Right? Because the, the way of salvation by faith is by receiving. It is by accepting. It's by believing. Now, I remember many years ago, uh, one of the saddest memories I had was I, uh, my dad's friend was a plastic surgeon. And uh, he discovered many years ago, this must have been like two decades ago, that he had some sort of cancer, very, very severe cancer. And he only had about a year to live, I remember. He was my dad's, one of my dad's very, very good friends. So I remember playing golf with him one day. It was, a, it was a beautiful day. I still remember the day. And he knew I was a pastor. He kept calling me vicar, right, instead of my name. Hey, vicar, 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 right? Uh, which is some you know, British way of calling you pastor. And uh, I wanted to, to share Jesus with him. And I said, you know, I really want to talk to you about Jesus. And he said to me, no, no, it's okay. It's all right. It's all right. You know, I'm okay. I'm okay. And then soon after, a few weeks later, he died. And I always remember the incident because he had the same attitude that the Jews had. He believed that he was okay. I am okay. I'm okay with God. Because he felt that he was a good person, that he earned salvation. I've done what I need to do. I've pursued righteousness and I've achieved righteousness. But the problem is that God says here very clearly that Salvation is not by pursuing, by doing, by earning, but rather it's by faith. And that's why it says here, look, that because of that, they stumbled over Jesus, right? So because it's a gift, instead of trusting in Jesus, they stumbled over Jesus, right? He's like a stone. Instead of seeking shelter and trusting in the stone, what happened was that they stumble over Jesus. Now, the gift here, the stumbling stone, is clearly Jesus, right? Okay, Because Jesus is the means by which the grace and the mercy of God is given to people. So what these people are doing, just like my friend did, very sad, my dad's friend, instead of accepting mercy, instead of accepting grace, they were saying, no, no, I don't need it, right? Now, this is quite a strange attitude because um, I remember there was a, a relative of mine who was also very, very poor and, and, we, and people wanted to help this relative. And because of pride or whatever reason, this relative was saying, no, no, no need, no need, no need. I don't need your money, I don't need your help. I don't need your money, I don't need your help. Right? And I think in many ways, it's that sort of belief, isn't it? Because without acknowledging that you need help, without acknowledging that actually 
you need grace and you need mercy and you need a gift, you cannot actually receive it. See, I can give you everything, right? I can lay it at your doorstep. God lays it at our doorstep. But if we keep thinking that we can do it ourselves, then the problem is we will never accept the gift. And that's why, look at what it says there in chapter 10, verse 1 to 4. You see? In verse 2, uh, verse 1, we're going to start with verse 1. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. and they are, But the problem is their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. You see, the, the Jews were very zealous. Right? They are very zealous. They trained hard. They worked hard to establish their own righteousness. So instead of accepting God's righteousness given to them as a gift by grace, they said, no. I'm going to work hard myself. I'm going to have my own righteousness. But the problem was, this zealousness was not based on knowledge. See, that's where sometimes sincerity doesn't work. See, I can sincerely believe that the world is flat. But it doesn't mean that it's flat, right? I can sincerely believe that, you know, I have a cup of, uh, of poison, and I sincerely believe that I can drink it and not die. But if I drink it, I will still die, right? Same for the Jews. See, they sincerely believe that they could depend on their own righteousness. I can be right with God myself. But that knowledge was faulty. Because what was required was not them establishing their own righteousness, but receiving God's righteousness. Now, what it says here, is that Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Now, actually, in some of your translations, I don't know if you've got the ESV Bible or the older NIV, but what it actually says there is Christ is the end of the law. I don't know, anybody have that? The end of the law? What is the... Elaine, what does your ESV say? Yeah. End of the law. So end can be the goal of the law, right? Or it can be the the end of the law, the termination of the law. And I think it can sort of be both. Lah. You see, the Jews thought that the law was the means by which they would be righteous. right? But actually what the Bible says is the law was actually pointing towards Jesus all along. The law was pointing to the fact that people could not save themselves. And the reason is because, in verse 5, Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. You see, that's the problem with the law. See, the law for the Jew was all about knowledge. Knowledge. You see, the Jews spent a lot of their time learning the law. But to be right with God is not about knowledge. It's about doing. Huh? It says what it says there, isn't it? The person who does these things will live by them. You see, that's the problem, right? You can know the law, 
but you can't keep the law. Right? It's true, isn't it? How many of you know all the the road laws and the laws of Singapore? We all know the law, right? But can you keep all the laws? That is the thing. That is what counts. When you stand before the judge, the judge doesn't say, okay, I want you to recite for me the, the road laws of Singapore. No, he wants to know whether you kept the law. And what God says is that you cannot keep the law. You cannot do the law. You know the law, but you cannot keep it. In fact, it says up there, right, in Romans chapter 3 already, right, for we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. See, that's why the law points to Jesus. Jesus is the culmination or the end of the law. Because as you see the law and you see the inability to keep the law and to do the law, you then find yourself going to Jesus. Because you realize, hey, I can't keep it. Right? I, need, I need a solution to the problem of keeping the law. And actually, the righteousness that comes from God is not a difficult thing. It is actually an easy thing. Much easier than keeping the law. Because it says there, But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down? Or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the message concerning faith that we proclaim, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in Him will never be put to shame. You see, when you go the Jesus route, okay? See the Jesus route? Oh. The Jesus route, right? Actually, trying to say something like, it's not as if we have to go to heaven to find Jesus, right? It doesn't mean you have to go down to the, <clears throat> to the grave to dig Jesus up. Right? That's what it says there, right? It's not as if you have to go to heaven and, 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 and take the divine Jesus down. It's not as if you have to go to the grave and dig Jesus up. God has already done all these things, right? God has already brought Jesus to us. In fact, it's not so hard at all because the word proclaiming Jesus is already very close to us. Right? That's what it says. Is it? The word is near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. All you have to do is, is to believe in Jesus. I remember my mother-in-law was a Buddhist and she used to know Buddhists have to keep all these different things, right? So after we tried to preach the gospel to her, she said, wow, so easy, just believe only. And the way we said, yeah, it is, isn't it? You don't have to follow all these rules and regulations. All you have to do to be saved is to believe. In order to be saved, you just believe in Jesus. That's what it says here. You don't have to go to heaven to look for Jesus. You don't have to go into the grave to dig Jesus up. The word is near you. All you have to do is trust in Jesus. All right, you have to confess to your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you are saved. That's all it takes. That's what my mother-in-law said. So easy. Jesus is Lord. And it says that in verse 11, if you trust in Jesus, 
you will never be put to shame. Now, what does that mean to be put to shame? It means that if you ever put your trust in Jesus, you will, He will never let you down. He will never put you to shame. It's a bit like, let's say we put our trust in um, Minkit. Lah. So we say, Minkit will never ever be late for third service. Okay? So every Sunday he comes, you know, he comes early on time. So you, you, you know, you'll never be put to shame, right? But one, one day, for whatever reason, the car breaks down or you know, something happens, then he comes at 4.35. Then you're put to shame, isn't it? Because you say, ah, you'll never be late, but then he's late. But then it says here that if you put your trust in Jesus, he will never put you to shame. You will never be put to shame. What a wonderful thing it says there. And the reason is, it says that, is because it takes a quote, right? In verse 13. Right? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, this is actually very, very unique and very, very profound. Because when you look at the word Lord there, it's a capital L. And if you look in the book of Joel chapter 2 is actually Yahweh that is in view here. That means the reason why you will never be put to shame because you're putting your faith not on a human being, but you're putting your faith in, in God, in Jesus. Jesus is God. You see, you're not putting your faith in Minkit, right? Who's just a human, but you're putting your faith in Jesus who is the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D. That's why he will never put you to shame. Now, the problem for the Jews is that they don't believe in Jesus, the Lord. In verse 14, it says, How then can they call on the one who they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, this is uh, what you call a chain, a chain of human agency to, to actually show how people are saved. So if you look up here on the slide, first of all, you need someone, uh, if you look up here on the slide, huh? hey, where's my thing? I'll use this one, the smaller one. Yeah, I thought I brought it up. Okay, don't worry. So, you need someone to come to you, to be sent out to talk to you. You need a person to preach to you. Then you need to be willing to hear what the person has to say. Then you have to be willing to believe in what that person says to you, right? And then God will work in your heart to be called into the kingdom. That's what it says there, isn't it? Right? Right, so you read it. How can they call on the one who did not believe? How can they believe in the one who have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they preach unless they are sent? So in every way, all these things need to happen. So Paul says that he's been sent, he's preached, people have heard, they need to believe, and then they can call on Jesus. And the whole point that what he's being saying here, right, is that he has done these things. He's come, he's preached, but what is the problem? The problem is, they have heard, but 
but they have not believed and they're not calling on Jesus. Right? Because what it says here is that those who hear, those who believe, those who who call on Jesus, they will say, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Right? It's a bit like uh Hey, so Minky is wearing his All Blacks jersey. So I go up to him and say, Hey, you know, uh, the other last night I watched TV and the All Blacks won the World Cup. Right? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news to Minkit. But you see, the problem for the Jewish people was that Paul was bringing the message. He was preaching to them. But they were not hearing, they were not believing, and therefore they were not calling. And therefore, Paul's message was not beautiful to them. He was not beautiful to them. Now why? Why were they not listening? What was their problem? Well, the first question that people might ask is, is it because they didn't hear? Right? That's what it says there in verse 18. Uh, they, did I, but I asked, did they not hear? Is it because they couldn't hear what I was saying? You know, maybe they were, they had their headphones on too, too loud or something, right? Of course they did, it says. The voice has gone out into all the world. Their voice has gone to the ends of the world. So the gospel message has been going out. Out into the ends of the world. Right? From Jerusalem out to the far ends of the world. And the Jews have heard the message. So yes, they've heard. They heard the message. It's not that they didn't hear the message. That somehow this part is missing. And he says, is it because, in verse 18, is it because they didn't understand? Right? Is it because they can't understand what I'm saying? And again, the answer is no, isn't it? Because it says that other people have heard and these people have no understanding but yet they can understand. The Gentiles can understand. If the Gentiles can understand, how can the Jews not understand? So, it's not a hearing problem. They heard. The believing problem is the problem because they can understand. So, what is the problem? Well, the answer is in verse 21. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long, I've held up my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. See, I remember uh, when I looked up the Oxford Dictionary yesterday, was it the day? No, much, much earlier, because I, when I was going through the sermon, I said, see, what is the definition of obstinate? And we think obstinate is like a donkey, right? You know, you got to pull very hard, right? It's, it's, it's the idea of somebody who is inflexible, unwilling to change, very very stuck in their ideas. That's what the idea of obstinate is. You can't change. Not changeable. Disobedient. You know, they're not willing to change. And this is the problem with with the Jewish people. Remember the question was, why is it so few of them had turned to Jesus? And the reason is because they were obstinate and disobedient. Because they kept thinking to themselves, I can do it. And Paul kept telling to them, you cannot do it. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. They could hear his preaching, but they would not believe. They would not call out to Jesus. Now, I remember when I was uh, studying in theological college in Australia, I was reading a newspaper, a story of an Australian hiker who was hiking high in the mountains of Nepal. Apparently he left on a clear, beautiful morning. His sun was in the sky. He had enough food and he was going from village to village. 
apparently as he was walking on this particular day around mid-afternoon, he came across another group of hikers coming in a different direction and they asked him where he was going. And he said, I'm going to such and such a village. And then these hikers who were coming in the opposite direction told him, you're going the wrong direction. It is this way, not that way. But he wouldn't listen. He was adamant that he was going the right direction. He was very sure he was going the right direction. He showed them the map that was going this way. And I think as he went along, he met other people who kept saying, you're going the wrong way, you're going the wrong way. And he said, no, I'm going the right way. According to newspaper report, uh, his body was found a week later and he had gotten lost and he never made it to that village and he had died. See, here was a person who was zealous, zealously committed to going in his direction, but a person without knowledge. He thought, I'm going the right way, I'm going to this village, very dedicated about doing it, but I don't have the right knowledge. And he was very obstinate. Right? He's like, no, no, no. I, I'm, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I'm going the right way. But instead, he was going the wrong way. He was walking to his own death. You see, that is the tragedy of people like my dad's friend, the plastic surgeon. Zealous, but without knowledge. Obstinate. Thinking that they can save themselves. They can earn their own righteousness except, and not accept the righteousness, God's righteousness in Jesus Christ. They don't need His mercy. They don't need His grace. Now, I asked you the question earlier on about where, what was the most hopeless situation you've ever been in, right? I think for me, when I, when I thought of that question, I remember once I was uh, swimming in this beach in Australia called Wanda Beach. It's in the south in Sydney. And um, I was swimming and, and I mean, I'm a fairly okay swimmer, so I was swimming. And I thought, okay, it's time to go back, time to go back. Then I was swimming back and I realized, actually, I didn't realize I was so far out. And also I didn't realize that the current seemed to be a bit against me. So I was getting really tired, you know, I was like, and the waves were quite big. And, I, and then what made it worse was there's a whole group of old people around me. Really old people, right? Really all retired. They were just bobbing around there. And they seemed to be doing very well. And I was like, oh man, it would be so embarrassing if I drown out here with all these people, right? So then I turned to one of them and he said, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm having a bit of trouble. And he said, oh, better get the lifeguard out for you, right? And then, then I was like, oh, no, I'm okay, I'm okay then. After a while, I realized, no, maybe I'll call the lifeguard. So we started waving. And you know, the lifeguards always have those big boards, right? So this, uh, this woman, this young girl on the big life, this, this big surfboard came out to me and then she put me on the surfboard and then we surfed back. You see, in a way, it was my pride, my uh, dignity, right, which stopped me from acknowledging that I was in a really hopeless position. Right? I mean, I was like, I didn't want to admit that I was having trouble. I couldn't make it back to shore by myself. I didn't want to look... You know, foolish in front of all these old people. I didn't want this woman from, you know, young woman to save me. But I needed help. I couldn't save myself. And I think in the same way, the world doesn't want to say that it cannot save itself. It thinks that it can save itself. It thinks it can earn its own righteousness. 
But God says, look, I've given you grace. I've given you mercy. I've given you Jesus. It's not that I'm asking you to go up to heaven to get Jesus to come down or go down to the grave to dig Jesus up. I've given all of these things to you. The word is not far away. The word is close to you. All you have to do is confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And he will not put you to shame. So I think what a wonderful gift we have. And I think what a great reminder it is of putting aside our own sufficiency, our own independence, and to say to God, yes, I need help. I need Jesus. And to know that when we have Jesus, because He is the Lord, He is God Himself, we will never be put to shame. Any questions?